hey, I had an opinion about politics and a whole lot of things going on in the world. I wanted a cool soundtrack, but I'm trying not to get sued. So this is Brian, Mike, and Shane, and this is our podcast. I've been wanting to watch Dune. Have you guys heard about Dune? Dune yeah, with Jason Malone? Yeah, well, it's supposed to be like a two-part movie. Well, anyways, my buddy watched it the other night, and I said, well, how was it? And he goes, well, it's pretty epic. And you straight up see that George Lucas stole a lot of stuff for Star Wars. And I said, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, but, but it's also boring, too. I think George Lucas took a lot of stuff from Lord of the Rings, too, mm-hmm. for Star Wars. Really? Yeah. See, I, I'm not I'm not a Star Wars fan. So. See, I always have been, like, huge. And, you know, and when I was in high school, Lord of the Rings came out, or when I was in just beginning high school. And I never went to the theater and watched them because, you know, from the trailers, I was like, eh, whatever. And then finally one day, Kelly ended up having to have some other surgery, and I bought them that had Kill Time. Yeah. And I'm, like, blown away. I'm like, dude, these are almost better than Star Wars. I Wait. think I like them better. I like them better. I, I, I mean, but I, I like them both. But I really? like Lord of the Rings yeah. better. Lord of the Rings is just, just you know, in the Hobbit movies on top. I know what he was doing. I know exactly what Peter Jackson was doing when he said, "I'm gonna make the Hobbit movies." And then he was like, "Well, I could. This book's like this big," and he made three movies out of it. And I'm like, "He's building a saga just like George Lucas did." Don't be stupid. Just tell us. <laughs> tell us the truth. What you're doing. Right. That's what he did. Trying to build a legacy off a little bitty book. Yeah. Exactly. Alright. I'm just going to go into it. Again, I say to all of our uh, avid listeners who've been paying attention, keeping up, keep doing that shit. We appreciate your attention. Hit that like button. Um, this I'm Brian. This is my my background story. Just a little bit about uh, how I am, who I am. Uh, I grew up in uh, East Beckley, right over there near the Red Brush. Ran around most of the time with my friends. Uh, I'm not gonna name their names. I may not want to be a part of it, but ended up going uh, moving over to. Uh, I should got stop saying uh huh. Uh, moved over to you, man. To, to East Park uh, when I was about 14, 13 or 14. The reason I said all of that is because I was the only person in the Red Brush, only kid in the Red Brush that didn't go to school with the rest of the kids. Um, I realize now how epic that really was. Uh, I had two parents who worked, and I went to school at St. Francis, where the rest of my friends went to school at you know, public school, Sylvia Lincoln Institute, things like that. Not dogging their education. I didn't go to public school until I got to the seventh grade. When I got to the seventh grade, my first day in public school, first day in middle school, I got into a fight. (laughs) Not because I didn't know anybody. I knew all these dudes, but uh, when you get to, to, to Stratton Junior High then, and you've been wearing blue and white in the uniform, you're a little bit different. My father's not Catholic. Uh, we were Baptist all our lives, but yet he insisted on giving us the best education he could, which meant we went to Catholic school, um, although we went to a Baptist church. I said all of that because I have a well-rounded and a wide range of religious experience, uh, tolerance, listening to people, listening to their problems, studying people's views, studying uh, their nationality and why they worship the way they worship. 
What's that got to do with anything, Cope? Well, mind your business, but it has shaped who I am and my opinion of people and how they think. I will never, ever, and let me let me be clear on this, no matter what church you go to, no matter where you are, and I'm preaching, uh, I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's who I am. But I'm never going to dog you because you don't worship or you don't believe the way I believe. I believe whatever makes you a better person is what God wants you to do. And you should do that. With that being said, uh, fast forward, I moved out of my parents' house at age 17 because uh, Reverend Copney and I weren't getting along. Uh, and there, there could only be one uh, adult in that house, and it was going to be him. Uh, at age 17, I moved out, and I had a great time. I had a great time. I ain't going to lie to you. I, I went to a couple parties. Uh, there are actually a couple of years of my life that are missing from my memory. <laughs> but because of all of that, uh, I am who I am. I mean, as Paul said in the in the gospel, by the grace of God, I am who I am. And also by the grace of God, I am not consumed. Woo! <laughs> yeah. So uh, what grade were you in whenever you went from Christian school to public school? Uh, uh, seventh grade, going to junior high from sixth to seventh. Um uh, I played with the same kids all my life. Only when I got to seventh grade, I was actually able to play public sports with them and football and things like that. And I mean, they they knew of of whatever little athletic talent I had, so I wasn't new to them. I was new to just being around people who weren't like me, or no, who were like me. Let me say that. Uh, St. Francis is a lot different now than what it was then. I got my first paddling when I was at St. Francis. They were still paddling kids. Yeah. They, they people would, <laughs> they, they'd lay the stroke to you. I I got to kneel on corn and hold Bibles. I got to do all that good stuff where a lot of my buddies, man, I told that teacher, fuck that bitch, and they sent me home. <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, right. That didn't work for me. Um, So... Uh, I, I learned mannerisms. I learned uh, speech elo- etiquette. I learned um, how to carry a conversation with people and also how to disagree without being disrespectful. Uh, and I try to do that uh, on a daily basis. I try to teach it to my children and I try to teach it to other people if they let me teach them shit. Also, I like to learn from people. So I'll take the time and I'll listen to you even though I know you're full of shit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think it's kind of a boring thing to me to just surround yourself with people that think like you do. Yeah. All the time, just having people with your opinion that, you know, they're always patting you on the back for the way you think. I like to have other people around because you never know whenever their opinion is going to, you know, oh God, you know, I never yeah. really looked at it like that, you know, so I think it's a good thing to have varying people around you. You know, don't don't take it to somebody that's toxic with their bullshit, you know, but to have people with different opinions that you can talk to is good for growth and everything, I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Was it a culture shock going from Christian school to public school? Oh, man, it was such the culture shock. And I keep saying it wasn't that I didn't know the people I was going to school with, because I did. I just didn't know how to act around them. Like, yeah. I, I go to school the first day and people are doing whatever they want. And uh, I think one of the teachers told me, okay, you're in the seventh grade. Go sit over there. God damn it. I sat there and I didn't move. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, they're running up and down the bleachers yeah. and bouncing yeah. off the walls and playing basketball in the gym. And I'm like, gosh, she said set here. Uh, so it, it was definitely a, a, a real culture shock for me um, simply because, I don't know, I grew I grew up in, in structure. And structure is something now that I appreciate. And structure is, is something that a lot of young people today appreciate, whether they want to admit it or not. They never admit it, but they do. They appreciate structure. There are kids who come and and they come to our house or come to my visit my kids because of the structure. They know what time we're going to eat. They know what time we're going to go to bed. They know what time we're going to get up. And I'm not saying it's a militarized household, but it's structured. There are some things you can count on every day. Um, and a lot of a lot of households don't have that. They don't know. All right, this is what time we go to bed. No, not two a.m. Not three a.m. You got to go to school tomorrow. Take your ass to bed. So, I mean, structure is, is definitely something that I think is missing even from society. Yeah, definitely. Everyone has the ability. I understand. We're going to do what we want to do. Do what you want to do as long as it doesn't affect or offend. Well, I ain't going to say offend me because some people you can offend and you think you'd burn down the world. But there's got to be, without rules, we're lawless. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's kind of where government comes in. Don't over-government me, but provide some law. Yeah. Yeah, stay out of my pocket as much as you can and out of my life. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, whether people want to hear it or not, having police is a good thing. Throw out the parameters, you know, yeah. It's uh, like the crime that's prevented just because they're there is I'd imagine would be unimaginable. Oh, you know, these big, these big cities are about to find out. Yeah. Plain and simple. We're talking about demilitarizing the police. I don't care what color you are. Next time a crackhead breaks into your house, who you going to call? No, don't dial 911. You didn't want your tax dollars going towards (laughs) them. Call, call, call the crackhead. Yeah. And if you, uh, and a lot of that too, like most of the people that don't want the cops don't don't support the Second Amendment neither. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know what they're gonna do. Well, yeah. I mean, I it's gonna jump off topic, but I have a feeling that you're seeing all the stuff that's going down in San Francisco, the shoplifting and these stores and stuff. I have a feeling eventually they're gonna get fed up and these businesses are just gonna roll out. Mm-hmm. They're just gonna be like, we're just gonna cut our losses, and we're gonna just shut down yeah. every damn retail store in the area because mm-hmm. you ain't gonna do nothing about it, and well, it's gonna be even worse than what it is now. And, and there I mean, goes it's your pretty economy. bad, mm-hmm. or even worse, uh, loss of life. You know, you're I'm tired of them taking my stuff, and they start clipping people. Yeah, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. which is even worse than just pulling out because you know somebody died. You know, have you seen the new purge? I mean, like I said, off topic. Have you seen the new Purge? No. Uh-uh, I those, haven't. Listen, I'm going to say this. Every one of those damn Purge movies scares the shit out of me. Because every time I see a Purge movie, it's some shit that's happening right now. Used to be, uh, you had movies that seemed so far-fetched. You know, one day far off in the year 2024, uh, we're going to have hover cars. Yeah. Not anymore. Now, the Purge movie is like, what about the Forever Purge? What about how did we get here and... What if people just stop obeying law and just start shooting and killing people because you don't believe in 
this government and they want their own government. How freaking close were we on January 6th to people breaking into the damn Capitol? Yeah. I mean, this shit can really happen. Well, it goes back to, uh, and it's it's more than January 6th. You know what I mean? It was the whole summer, the whole winter leading up to January 6th, too, where everybody's just feeling, you know, they feel like that, uh, you know, this side felt outraged this long. They tore up this much stuff. It's our turn. Yeah. When it ain't nobody's turn. No. You know, it needs to. Just everybody needs to chill out and stop tearing up other people's shit, affecting other people's lives. And I am all for protesting. Yes. Like something you don't agree with, but, you know, whenever people are dying, it's just Well, I mean, you got the homeless problem in America going on. I mean, it's here. It's in our backyard. And half of me is, you know, I feel like everybody else. I'm like, it's just like, oh, you know, I'm tired of it, yada, yada, yada. And the other half of me kind of feels for him. But, you know, I was watching this YouTube video. I can't tell you exactly what it was. But they were interviewing this guy out in L.A. And they asked him how he ended up the way he was and stuff. And he explained why he ended up being homeless and not having a job and stuff. But then he said something that kind of hit hard. It was like... Every most Americans are only two paychecks away from being exactly where I'm at right now, and, that's and, and it's coming Amen. with it's everything that's going on right yeah. now. Well, imagine, and I ain't got a problem with, uh, you know, billionaires' wealth and stuff like that, because uh, if you got a problem with what Bezos is worth, make yourself uncomfortable and don't order off of Amazon. Yeah. You know, if you're uncomfortable with it, don't contribute to his wealth. <laughs> but with that being said, like I don't I don't have a problem with his wealth because he's got this company everybody everybody uses it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, FedEx and UPS, it's it all they do is mm-hmm. Amazon deliveries. Yeah. But with that being said, uh imagine how many people you could have helped instead of building a dick-shaped rocket <laughs> to go into space. <laughs> You know, <laughs> like, like, and I think, and I think that space is our next frontier, our next big leap forward and stuff. That's gonna be part of what we do. Not maybe not my lifetime, or something like that. But uh, why don't we try to get shit under control where we're at? Then worry about that. Yeah. Then, again, you. then you, making you guys, a circle around the earth so you can tell somebody you did. Do you guys feel like once you reach a certain level of wealth or even not even at a level, just where we are right now, you have a certain obligation to to, to help humanity? For instance, the, the homeless problem here in Beckley is getting bigger and more outrageous. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. But do you feel like you have an obligation to say, hey, let me feed one of these dudes? Or do you feel like, hey, man. Why you holding that sign that says we'll work for food? Why don't you go in there and fill out a job application? Everybody hiring. Everybody yeah. is. Yeah, I agree with that too. Like, uh, you got to help yourself. Yeah. I mean, you got to. I get what. In the same video I watched, the guy was talking about, like, they came up, well, why don't you have a job? And he was, like, pretty much telling that, like, he didn't um, have a way to, you know, present himself in a job interview because either, you know, the way he looked, being dirty and everything mm-hmm. else. And he says, and even when I got that job, he's like, there's no way that I can continue to keep on 
cleaning myself and everything else and be adequate on time because, you know, every night's a different night out on the streets of L.A. Yeah. And I get, I, I, I get that, but, you know, but I, I also get that everybody's hiring, too. Mm-hmm. And half the people that I see out on the street are young guys, yeah. uh, younger than me, you know. And uh, just just shoot straight with it, man. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, whenever somebody's on the streets, it's because of an addiction. Yeah, you know they've got something. They've it's either alcohol or in this state, definitely. Yeah, I can't imagine making three hundred dollars a day, and at the end of the night, I have nothing to show for it. But I've talked to people who will tell you that they have ways and they know how they can make $300 a day to support their addiction. And it's going straight to whatever pill or, you know, drug day of choice. But they have no problems taking that money, going straight to wherever their dealer is. But when they look back and say, I'm hungry and I made $250 today, had my hands on $300 today, and I didn't buy food with it one time. What? That's like... Leading back to mine, I I mean, I ain't going to go online and tell you how I got the money, but it wasn't like, I didn't hurt nobody to get the money. I didn't rob no houses Victimless to get crime. the money. Victimless crimes. <laughs> but anyways, you know, you go, when you have a drug addiction like that and you do the things that you do to get that money, the first thing you do when you get up in the morning is search. That is your first thing that you do if you have the money in your hand is you search. And it could be an all-day thing. Like I said, I wasn't addicted to heroin or anything else like that. It was the pill epidemic that happened years ago. And I was just like, search. Mm -hmm. And now as you think about it later on in life, after you've cleaned up and you're sober, you're just like, my God, the money that I spent. You didn't give a shit about... Whether you ate that day, you didn't give a shit whether you had nice clothes or anything like that. Didn't care if you had a nice car. It was to get what you needed to get so you could feel normal. And then when you finally decide, like, enough's enough, like I did, it's clear as day. I mean, it just, it kind of just sets in and you think about it. I had a buddy of mine tell me, uh, and and he, he was addicted and we talked openly about his addiction. And he used to tell me, dude, I don't even get high anymore. I was like, what are you talking about you don't get high anymore? He said, all the shit I do on a regular basis. He said, in a a week's time, I might get high one time. He said, at this point, I'm just trying to keep the monkey off my back. Trying not to get sick. Trying not to get get dope sick. I never, you know, like I told you last week, I never ended up getting dope sick except the last time when I wanted to get off the shit and I, I quit. I just quit. That was the only dope sick I ever got. If anything I got was aggravation. But of course I wasn't on the high powerful stuff that the half the people in Beckley's yeah. on right now either. These dudes nowadays on some other shit. But uh side note, side note. Uh we uh I, I wanna say something and I want it to go out towards everybody in mainly the US and in the world. At what point in time and if anybody's in a position to, to talk about this, I feel like I am and we are. At what point in time does forgiveness begin to be applied to a mistake, to a crime, to anything? I mean, to to rape, to murder. 
I'm not saying that you do something so heinous that you shouldn't, let's say you shouldn't go to jail and spend the rest of your life in prison. All right. But at what point does somebody say, you know what? You made a horrible mistake, dude, but you can still live your life. Point in case. Let's talk about Pete Rose. Pete Rose was betting on baseball. Uh, some people say at the time he was betting, he wasn't actually a player. He was a manager, all of that. But even now, almost 30 years later, you're holding up this dude's Hall of Fame induction. You're going to go back through somebody's, you know, let's say 10 years before uh, you, you were looking at pictures that you shouldn't have been looking at of, I don't know, let, let's say you were looking at pictures of whatever it is that you were into that was kinky. Everybody in America is into something. And somebody finds out. So now it's out in the air and suddenly you're labeled as a racist. You're suddenly labeled as a pedophile. Um, you can say what you want to. Let's be honest. Racism only, only exists in the most private of conversations. If I feel like I can have this conversation with you about uh, this race I don't like, white people, black people, Asian, whatever. If I feel like we're that close, we're going to have it. But what happens when 10 years later, after I've married a nice Asian lady and I got two Asian kids, you hear a conversation of me using some Asian slang? Does that make me a racist? At what point in time does good grief, man, the guy was young and he was growing up and made some mistakes. He's learned better. Or sometimes, you know, because God knows if you go through my messenger like I send <laughs> oh, some messed up gosh. shit, but and you know maybe they sent this messed up thing that was a joke. Mm -hmm. They're not that person. They don't even believe that way. But like you said, they know this guy on a personal level, and they're like, "He's gonna get kicked out of this. Yeah. I'm gonna send it." And then uh, it gets dredged up a year later, two years later, and all of a sudden. It's out of context. Nobody knows, you know. Yeah. And uh, but I think that's bringing us into what we're exactly. going to talk about is exactly cancel culture and in uh, cancel culture, it is a difficult thing to talk about because the rules are different for me than they are Brian. Mm -hmm. They're Absolutely. even different for me than they are Mike, just because of our uh, sometimes it's your political view. Mm -hmm. sometimes it's your skin color that makes it different for uh, me to talk about something as opposed to you and uh, me as a white male i'm not supposed to make fun of anybody yes you know i'm not supposed to get a joke a laugh or anything off of a woman off of uh somebody with a different skin color or anything you know is and it's, it's like the rules are wrote in pencil, man. It's very true. You know what I mean. Oh, but shit, but if so I'm true. a if I'm a white guy that wears a dress, I feel like a woman today. I can talk shit about whoever I want. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I could be the same me, but tomorrow I feel like a woman. I want to wear a dress. I can say whatever I want on social media or anything. Nobody can say nothing because. And you if know. you say something back to that person who feels like a woman's wearing a dress, now it's all flipped over on you because. You're biased, and you're uh. They don't use the term racist anymore. They use uh. You oh, you're homophobic. Homophobic, yeah. Dude, it's it's and you don't. I I have people in my family that I love, 
but I don't agree with their lifestyle, so I don't fuck with them. Yeah. You know, so there you don't you don't have to hate somebody to disagree with what they're doing. That is not hate. That is just like, hey, I'm not into it. That ain't not me. My thing. Yeah, you know, there that is not hate. That is just saying, All right, I'm fine, but that ain't me, man. No. Now you got culture talking about uh, you have to tolerate me. You have to look at me. Bitch, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't have to. It's like I said. And uh, you have last... to actively agree with me. Yes. And you can watch these people on social media, even the ones in the in crowd. Sometimes they get hit up because mm-hmm. they say the wrong thing, thinking they're supporting something. And then they virtue signal. You know, it's the easiest thing. If I was a famous person, the easiest thing in the world for me to do would be get on there and say, I'm pansexual. There you go. Be And then... That costed me nothing no. in my personal life or anything to get on there and say it, and I've done been hit with all this support from everybody. Oh, Whether, we love you, know, you. You're so supportive. You're so brave. You're so brave. brave. You're yeah. so tolerant. And you don't. And that's what I was talking about before. You don't know how that. You don't know how they feel. You don't know what they're doing it for. You know they could secretly have a problem with gay people. But they see a situation where they can further their self, and they use it. My problem is, in the 15 years since, God, I think it's been 15 years since I've been in high school. I don't even know. But anyways, from junior high until now, I don't know what the hell's happened. Because I'm telling you, when I was in junior high, when I was in high school, if racism existed, it wasn't amongst me and my friends. We all got along. Mm-hmm. And we could all joke. You know, they might rip on me. I might rip on them. But now there's an issue with it. And I mean, the cancel culture is going strong. I've seen some of my, you know, heroes getting attacked. I wouldn't say heroes, but people I, you know, I looked up to growing up getting attacked. And, and I'm like, dude, you were. You you were supporting his ass fifteen years ago. What the fuck happened? Yeah, you know. I mean, seriously. Case in point, man. Seth Rogen <laughs> bailed on his buddy right now. You man, know? I'm sorry, <laughs> but the dude plays the same damn character in every damn movie. Same character, a stupid fucking stoner. And he's fucking stupid, man. I cannot stand him anymore. Tell me how you feel, Mike. I, Go in. I, I, I can't. I cannot stand him. I mean, he has turned into something. I, you know, the first couple of movies he did, I was like, yeah, he's funny. You know, I laugh at him. But it's the same character in every movie, and now he wants to act holier than now. And I'm like, dude, shut the fuck up. How yeah. you gonna turn on your buddy that you've been friends with since you were kids over an uh, issue? Nah, fuck that. If you were his real friend, you'd help him out through the situation, not fucking throw him to the wolves. Amen. If 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 there's actually a situation, I mean, it's like yeah, Shane you was don't saying. Know. People will look at, and I, I'll stay right right where we are. People will look at Shane and say he's white, and he's got kids, and he works in the coal mines. God damn it, he's racist. I ain't going to go over his house. <laughs> Lord have mercy. He's got sheets hanging up. I'm going to tell y'all right now. I'm in this dude's house, and I've never seen sheets in his house. But sometimes it's just being so biased, culturally biased. You might not even know this dude, but yet and still, you're willing to tag him 
and you want to crucify. Well, see, and you know what the hell that is, is by labeling me for, uh, you know, what you view my views are, you are doing the exact same thing that you hate me for, but you're really doing it. You, know, right. you are actually doing it. So You know uh, what I'm saying? Every now and then I, I get the opportunity to, to, to throw some Bible out here on, on the show. And this, this is more of a uh, philosophical and a the, the, theological statement. At no point in time in the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, anywhere, did anyone ever say, go out and set a trap for the devil to stop him from doing evil things. Never. Not one time. I challenge anybody to show me where somebody said they were going out and we're going to set a trap for the devil because he's doing evil stuff and we're going to stop him. No. It says that you should go out and strengthen your faith. It didn't say the weapons weren't going to be formed and coming after you. It said no weapon formed against you will prosper. In other words, they're going to take their guns they're going to shoot him at you, but it's not going to hurt you. And I say the same thing when it comes to this type of culture and this type of racism. The same people who will tell you that uh, white people are tearing us down and we should stand up and we, you know, we should pull out our guns and we, we should shoot all the white men are doing the exact same thing that they're trying to battle against. Instead of trying to battle against all of what you see and do all this craziness, if you would just level yourself up above what they're doing, because in all actuality, that's what they hate the most. They hate the talent. They, they hate the intellect, and they see what you can be. We're going to destroy that. Well, man, and they want to divide you on, they want to divide you on what you can't change. What you can't change. Like, uh, there's a lot of things you can change you can work on. Mm-hmm. I can't work on being white. I can't do it. I was born that way. And I'm not proud to be white because I had nothing to do with it. I showed up like this, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, But they want to divide you on stuff you can't change. And that goes down to even, like, religious belief systems. Because if you get into what somebody believes, what you believe, I can argue with you all night about what I believe and never make an inch of progress into what you believe. So if you divide people on how they believe and color, just things you can't change. You know, that that is the strongest division they can put between us because there's nothing we can do about the way we believe or the way we were born. Well, you said something. What happens? And I mean, we're on this show to present all types of shit, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ruffle some people's feathers. What happens when Shane looks at me and says, "Dude, I'm white. I'm proud to be white. I'm black. I'm proud to be black." Yeah. Oh my God! Right? He's out to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> it is over. That's... When in all actuality, he never said. I mean, what's wrong with being happy and proud of being who you are? Yeah. Yeah, that's what, like, I'm, like, this is this is the way I look at, like, being happy and proud. Mm-hmm. I'm proud that I've got kids that are healthy, yes. which I didn't have much to do with that, neither that was given to me, too. Yes. I'm proud that I was able to... Recognize the blessings. I was proud that I was able to come from nothing in a little town growing up in a coal camp house 
to, you know, I don't live in a mansion or nothing, but I do all right for myself. You know, that's the, the type of stuff that I think you should be proud of is what you have done. You know, and I ain't saying that if you're proud to be black that you're a racist. What I'm saying is be proud of accomplishments, not stuff that you were just, you, I had nothing to do with me being white. Yeah. It's just, it, it's, it's the way it was. The way it was. Yeah. Are, are we going to talk about uh, the opposite? Uh, I, and y'all, y'all, y'all can dog me all you want to about how I talk about uh, the generation that I'm raising, but good grief. I swear, poor Lord, <laughs> this is the laziest bunch of fat suckers. <laughs> I believe that if my son had a dream that he had a job, the fucker would wake up and quit. <laughs> it is just oh my god you cannot you cannot instill a work ethic or a drive into these people I mean it's one thing if you know, you're doing everything wrong you know what I'm struggling with right now I love him but a dude that don't know nothing that don't want to work certain jobs you understand what I'm saying? I don't want to do oh, that I'm job. Oh, I'm not I doing that. Yeah, I can't do that job. I'm like, man, like, okay, listen, you're 18. How about you do this job for three months before you find your dream job? Yeah. And I don't have the heart to tell them that I'm 39 and I ain't never had one. No I don't shit. got a dream job. Man. <laughs> no shit. You know the dream. You know what the dream job is? There's a paycheck. First and 15. <laughs> That's the dream job right there. Well, right now, for me, it, it's becoming like... Oh, man, what's their insurance? Yeah. You know, that's what it's becoming. Like, because, uh, man, insurance has gotten terrible in the last decade, man. Working man's insurance is horrible. It is. It really is. I mean, and I, I've told this story before. I was sitting in the doctor's office one time with, with my wife's dad. And, uh, you know, you go in and they say they want your, your insurance card. And this was his appointment, so he gives them his insurance card. And they say that he has a $25 deductible. He pays it. No problem. The lady comes up behind us and uh, they're like, we need your, your, your Medicaid and your Medicare, whatever the welfare insurance is. And she gives it to him. So, I mean, and I'm, I'm eavesdropping. So I know that, that she pays nothing for her insurance. Okay. And then they tell her, uh, well, you have a $10 deductible. She says, oh, I don't have $10. They're like, oh, we'll waive it. And I'm thinking to myself, these people are these people are are raking me over the coals every two weeks for my insurance. And then when I get here, you're gonna tell me I have a fifty dollar copay. And after the appointment, you're gonna send me another hundred dollar fucking bill. What in the world? And I'm the dude that's working. <laughs> I remember one time when I didn't have a job, I had Medicare or whatever it's called. And I went in, they were wanting to check something, so they sent me to go have a CT scan, right? So they were like, it's a $2 copay. <laughs> so I handed them, so I handed them $2, right? So about, I don't know, about a month later, they, they sent me a check for my $2 back. <laughs> I mean, that's what they're getting, man. Oh my gosh. I mean... And and I'm not like I've said before. I'm not saying anything about people who necessarily are on hard times and they need help and they need these things. I'm talking about the people who simply abuse the system. Oh, and there's a ton. 
I don't care what what uh, I don't care how you feel about your president. He needs to wipe this whole six hundred dollars disability shit off the fucking board. You need to start sending people back to work. I said it. Be mad. Blame the black dude. I don't care. Something needs to happen with people going to work. Man who does not work does not eat. What happened? I don't know. I mean, I mean, some of the stories I've heard was somebody trying to file for disability. It's a nightmare. Like, literally, that guy told you there was a paraplegic and he was trying to, you know, mm. get it. They were like, no, we can't give it to you. I'm like, seriously? But old, but old drunk Timmy down in the holler can get, you know, his shit. I got anxiety. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what the fuck has happened? Okay, so we took a break here, and we're coming back on Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. So, listen, this dude has been in show business and acting for well over 25 years. All right? So, you're going to tell me he doesn't know how to operate the equipment? He shot a dude point-blank range. I don't know if it's a prop pistol, pistol pistol, pee pistol, water pistol. Come on, now. All right, Brian, you like guns. Yeah, I love them. I like guns. Yeah. What's the first thing you do if somebody hands you a gun? You obviously check to see if there's anything in it, if it's loaded, and you never point a gun, loaded or unloaded, at anybody unless you plan planning on shooting them. Yeah, because uh, there's been more accidental deaths with unloaded guns than any other type. Yes. You know, but uh, the first thing I do, like you said, whether, even if it's somebody I trust to hand me a gun and they say it ain't loaded, I slide it back, see if there's anything in it. Absolutely. Or flop it, flop the barrel, you know, flop it down, whatever it is, you know, pop, stoke, whatever, see what's in it. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't take their word for it. And uh, you know what, maybe if they didn't, treat guns like they were some kind of uh bad thing or you know if you're gonna be on a if you're gonna be an actor why would you not be trained in handling guns i'll tell you what i think it is i think as an actor he didn't have a respect for the gun you and i we you know if you own a gun we have a respect for the gun we, we know that it's a gun it's not a toy um, and when you pull that trigger, what happens is permanent. It's permanent. I mean, every time I pick my gun up, uh, I, I, I at least look and see if the safety's on. It's my gun. But if you hand me a gun, like you say, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to look and see if it's loaded. I'm going to see if the safety's on. I'm going to look and see what I have in my hand. He, I don't think he had a respect for it. I don't. We say in the uh, military... Everybody who comes into the military is a soldier until they see what bullets do to flesh. And then you decide whether they're a soldier or not. Right. Because, I mean, that that changes a man. I mean, everybody's like, yeah, when the shit goes down, I'm going to be firing (laughs) and I'm going to shoot Kennedy's motherfucker. No, dude, that's not how it works. Have you ever seen that's like a a statistic on uh, why... uh, why generals don't like to take fresh soldiers into combat. Have you ever seen how they, uh, like the not, not shooting the kill statistic because they haven't seen yet that the other side is shooting the kill. Like they're shooting, yeah. but they're not, I don't know what it, the statistic <laughs> is, you know, 
but there's a certain amount of not wanting to kill yeah. at first till you see they're all right kill you. they're killing me then the game changes you yeah. know because when you pull the trigger on a gun it's permanent mm -hmm. and if how does a prop gun get by every a prop gun with a firing pin loaded get by there's got to be a chain for that if there ain't there should be it's i'm willing to say it's probably this movie wasn't a high budget movie. It was probably one of the things you see in red boxes and. But should, should that matter? I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm kind of like. But him. The, you know, I'm sure the budget was horrible. Yeah. And I'm sure the people that were filming it had didn't have much, you know, experience. They were like, "Here, take this gun." And you know, a lot of the, like they said, there's a lot of budget, uh, you know, constraints going on in these low budget movies and stuff, but. If you're going to do a movie with that has guns in it and stuff, you might as well pay the money to have that safe. I mean, look at Brandon Lee from The Crow. Exactly. It's God Almighty. And they they did have budget. Ex, you know, Are you going to and it was issues. a blank, wasn't it? One of uh, a, a blank got caught. Like the, I forget the cap or something got you know jammed up in the gun. So when the pressure came, when they fired that shot, it shot whatever was in the barrel out. And that's what killed him. But you know, are you gonna put the money in the in the costumes? Or are you gonna put yeah. the money in your well, safety? Well, the guy, the you know, the, whoever checks the guns, what do they call them armors, I think, or whatever it is. When well, he was, he left the set early that day before you know uh, they filmed that scene with Brandon Lee, and uh, they were just like, well, you know, let's show go. must go on. Yeah, yeah, and, that type of deal. I mean, wow. and, and to this day. I can't. And they cost us a national treasure, son. Yeah, yeah. it's like, I, I can't. That movie is hands down the cult classic. You want to talk about cult classic films, that's it. And The Crow, and the crow was before his death. True. Before yeah. Brandon Lee died, it was huge. And yeah. Like it's I see, a real I, deal. I, I, yeah. can't, I can't even watch that movie. I mean, I still do. But it, that movie, hands down, has a melancholic feel to it every time you watch it. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. I think, I love that movie. You know, I, I've never seen, like, like you were saying, Shane, I've never seen uh, the statistics on uh, the military guys who don't shoot to, to kill. But I have seen uh, uh, lieutenants and captains get in my convoy with me because we're going somewhere in Iraq and the E-5 sergeant turn around and say, give me your gun. What do you mean? Give me your gun. Because you ain't friendly fire shooting me in the head because you don't know what you're doing. Give me your gun. Take this motherfucker's gun and tell him if we come into action, you get down the floorboard. We got uh, bulletproof windows. They're not coming through. Friendly fire is a real deal because people get afraid in the time of action. That's where a revolver comes in. We call them old man's guns because the old man... When you scare an old man, he's not trying to clear the safety. He's not trying to cock it. He's trying to put that revolver in the middle of your stomach, and he's going to pull the trigger. Well, that Tillman, the NFL player, yeah, ain't that what? Ain't that ended up like after an investigation and stuff? They found out that it was friendly fire. Friendly that, fire. That yeah, took somebody Tillman pulled down. somebody pulled the pin on a grenade and dropped it. Yeah. Yeah. Pat Tillman played for yeah. the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. yeah. So I mean. 
Yeah, I mean, pe- people. Everybody's got a plan until the shit's real. Mike Tyson said yeah. it best. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And plans change when Mike Tyson punches you in the mouth. Yeah, damn oh. right. When you uh, taste blood and your jaws broke. <laughs> I, I hear that's getting ready to go down. Logan Paul and Mike Tyson. Here's my issue, uh, man. It's I swear to God, it's all fixed. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Well, oh, that, that article it. come out. Yeah. You know, that said that he was. They and we talked about it. Out. We talked about it with uh, Charles on here. Yeah. Before that article come out that uh, that it was a joke. That yeah. they ain't nobody going to knock him out because people are paying to see this dude get knocked out. They ain't going to knock him out. Could they beat my ass? Yes. Yes. The yes. Paul brothers could beat the shit out of me. Yes. But I'm not a professional boxer. Yes. You know, they should be able to beat I don't, shit out of Honestly, I don't care how old Mike Tyson is. He would still have oh, his way with him. Animal! Have you seen this dude in his training? Now, oh, do my you God. Think, do you think, with thinking about the way Mike Tyson is, do you think they could convince him not to knock the fuck out of this cat? No. No. I don't neither. I, I, I don't. think if you put Mike Tyson in, l- 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 let's say. <laughs> it's going to look make, like the hangover. L- let's say we make a deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. L- let's say we make a deal and you say, Mike, you can hit him, but if, if the dude's defenseless, you can't knock him out. Mike will say, okay, but when you put this cat in the ring and turn the switch on, it's over. Because I have. I He's have, pure. Now, I've seen Lennox Lewis absolutely out bike outbox Mike Tyson. Yes. yes. Holyfield, Holyfield. outbox. Same way. Mike, that's why he bit his ear off, man. Yes. Because he was getting, he was getting his it took style, to His style, his craft. Yeah. But, uh, if you get in the ring Log- and try to fight him, Logan Paul cannot outbox Mike Tyson. No. And then, I'm, you can't convince me of it. Nope. And even whenever Mike Tyson was 18, he outboxed the two boxers that beat him. Yeah. You know, whenever he was in his early career, mm-hmm. he used to spar with Lennox Lewis and walk the dog with him. You know, it was when he got older and them guys fought different fighters and got better. Got better. You know, that they could beat Mike Tyson. But whenever he was in his prime, when he was an animal, they, they couldn't even handle it. No. I want to yeah. see him fight a relevant fighter. No holds, no holds bar. Just go at each go other at and it. see how long they last. But, you know, pe- dumbass people keep on buying their damn pay-per-views. And- there are certain athletes that come into a generation that are just pure athletes at their craft. Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson. Yeah. Peyton Manning. Tom Brady. Pure athlete. I don't care. Give a fuck if you like Brady. Dude, I would Patriots, put. Patriots, whatever. Pure athlete at his craft. I would put Deshaun Watson in that category. Yeah. To be just a pure athletic pure talent. Pure athlete at his craft. Um. The, the the Serena Williams, pure athlete. Uh, Michael Phelps, pure athlete at his craft. Tyson is much the same way. He is just... Unteachable power. Power. Unteachable. You, you can't teach it? The, oh, gosh. No, I'm not getting in the ring with him. You're crazy as hell. No. It's a power and speed, almost unteachable. Yeah. You know, you can work on speed especially. You can work on power... But man, you're either fast or you ain't. Um, what's my man's name? Uh, Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather. Pure, pure boxer. I mean, the craft that this guy puts in is—it's beautiful. It's pretty. 
the way that he he can actually dodge or make his body wide and make it small to just man. Well, see, and they like to talk. They like to talk shit about how defensive a fighter he is. Yeah. But I mean, the greatest boxer that ever lived, Muhammad Ali, was one of the best defensive fighters when he wanted to be. Yeah. Ever, you know. So there's nothing wrong with being a defensive fighter. What's wrong with not being able to be hit as opposed to hitting the other person? Yeah, tiring them out and then beating the hell out of them. Damn right. You remember when Roy Jones beat that dude by punching him in the shoulders? Two rounds he went and just beat this dude's arms until the last round dude came. He could. They had to throw the towel on because this cat couldn't lift his arms. Yeah, he was done. Throw a punch. He was done. And, yeah. and, and Roy Jones was like, I was about to whoop his ass. <laughs> there's nothing he can but do. his corner knew it but his corner <laughs> knew it yeah I mean how beautiful is that to say if I just punch this dude in the arms for 10 minutes just just punch no I know his head's available I'm gonna beat his fucking arm <laughs> come on bro no wasn't it I'm pretty sure it was Ali that won around without throwing a punch wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. he won a, he won a round of a box was it against Frazier yes I think Jack- I think Dance, it was and that dude was so tired. I mean, he he actually fell three times in that round and never let it a punch. Yeah. Come on. No, I'm not fighting that dude. No. What y'all want to get into now? Uh, vodka. Oh, yeah. that That's a good point. Good call. We have a vodka on the podcast that uh, Brian bought over. It is Wheatley's Vodka. It is... From the Buffalo Trace Distillery. And uh, paying no attention to the price of said vodka. It is made with limited quantities of wheat. And it is some of the best vodka we've ever had. Yeah, and uh, all I can say about Buffalo Trace is y'all are doing it. it, They got good liquor. They are doing the business. Once again, once you're pure at your craft, don't change it. Well, I am going to get a hold of some old pappies one day. <laughs> on about that $1,200 a bottle, it's a little out of my uh, Hit that shit on the GoFundMe, bro. I'm <laughs> telling you. I'm walking around trying to find uh, Blanton's with the horse on top. Dude, That, that that's my, I mean, I, I'm looking for treasures. National treasures, that's one of them. You don't just find that shit on the shelf. Jesse and I, you know, I ain't going to give out all my secrets. <laughs> you know, we're doing some things for our 20-year anniversary. By the way, 20 years is coming up quick. Woohoo! That is awesome. Yeah. It's uh, kind of rare to see 20 years this day and time. Nowadays, you know, it really yeah. is. It really is. It really is. You know, Most people don't make it to 20. And then I'm also worried because some people make it to 20 and that that's it. They're like, fuck it. I'm done with you. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's I, I definitely got a gift and a curse going right now. Well, we got 51 minutes in. We can, I can edit that up. Yeah. All right. I'm with it. That's a good one.